0: welcome everyone to creating a family talk about adoption and foster care today we're going to be talking with a panel of young adult transracial adoptees about their experience growing up and and now as adults but before we start I wanted to tell you that um, we are totally aware obviously that everybody's life has been really turned upside down by this uh, coronavirus and the isolation uh, schools being closed And we're going to be bringing you in the next two weeks, two shows directly relevant to your experience and what's happening right now. We'll be talking with Carol Lozier, uh, whom I absolutely love, uh, about surviving and thriving while being cooped up with your kids during Corona. And then, The following week, we'll be talking with Heather Forbes about homeschooling kids with learning challenges during corona isolation. So make sure that you let your friends know. Uh, Stay tuned. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, do. And those shows will be coming up, and I know you're going to enjoy them. Today, we're going to be talking with a panel of young adult transracial adoptees about what it's like to be adopted and raised by parents of a different race. We have Katie Bullard, Nathan Faust, Jack Torello, and Angie Legg and i'm going to let them introduce themselves however i thought what i would do is i'm going to kind of ground your story and to tie you into this topic so what i'd like to do and i'm just going to go around to each of you and uh i'm going to hit the highlights of your adoption story so what i'd like you to answer is tell us how old you are now what is your race or ethnicity and then what is the race or ethnicity of your parents how old you were at adoption and where you were raised, and, and how diverse was the community in which you were raised? So, and if you get lost and, and forget some of those, I'll, <laughs> I'll remind you. I know that's a lot to, to have to remember uh, at the beginning. So, Katie, let's begin. Katie Bullard, let's begin with you. Uh, tell us your, uh, how old are you now, and what is your race, and what's your parents' race?
1: Yeah, so I am 24 now, um, about to be 25 in a couple days. Um, my parents are both white, and I am Chinese. Okay, and
0: uh, how old were you at adoption, and where do you live, and and is it, or where were you raised, and and how diverse was it?
1: Yeah, so I was four months old about when I was adopted. Um, I grew up in Brevard, North Carolina, so it was a pretty small town, so it wasn't very diverse in regards to um, individuals who were identified as Asian.
0: Okay. Nathan, Nathan Faust. All right. Can you tell us your age and then your, your ethnicity and a race and that of your parents?
2: Definitely. So I'm 23. I'm mixed race of uh, black and white, but I'm black presenting. So both my parents are white. I was adopted at birth from Salem General Hospital, and I was raised in Portland, Oregon.
0: Okay. And how, uh, how diverse would you say the community in which you were raised, your neighborhood community, schools, that type of thing?
2: Portland isn't exactly the most diverse place in the world, but they were always really welcoming and I never really felt left out because of my race.
0: Okay. Jack Torella, tell us your age now, your ethnicity and race, our, our race, and that of your parents.
3: Yes, uh, I'm 24 years old and I'm about to be 25 next week. Um,
0: oh my goodness, you and Katie, happy birthday to both of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead.
3: Go um, ahead. I'm sorry, I'm I'm Vietnamese-American. Uh, my both of my parents are you know second second generation immigrants, so I guess they're white. Um, my father is Italian American. My mom uh, I guess would be Russian American. Um, okay, oh, go ahead.
0: Okay, oh, cool. no, and and how old were you at adoption?
3: Uh, I was five months old when I was adopted from Vietnam.
0: Okay, and uh, uh, where do you where were you raised, and how diverse was your community, your neighborhood?
3: I was raised in Maplewood, New Jersey. Um, I suppose nowadays, it's a little bit more diverse, but when I was growing up, I was one of the very few Asian Americans uh, in my school. Um, There are actually uh, quite a few, I guess, uh, uh, Chinese American adopted girls uh, that I grew up with, but I didn't really um, connect with them until, you know, I guess when I was in high school until later. Okay.
0: Okay. And Angie, Angie Legg, uh, tell us how old you are now, your race and that of your your parent.
4: Um, Now I am 35. I am Haitian American. I was born in Miami, Florida, and I've been with my family since I was a baby, but I actually wasn't officially adopted until I was six years old. I, uh, like I mentioned, was born in Miami, but spent most of my life on the Connecticut shoreline. So I spent most of my life in suburbia, very, um, just not diverse at all, but I had diverse places to go. So I I mixed it up. I lived in a suburban town, but I was able to get to the city pretty easily.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
4: And my family is white.
0: Okay, got it. All right. And you were raised by a single mom. Is that right? Yes. Okay. All right, got it. All right, so uh, we're obviously talking about transracial uh, adoption. So let me just start by saying was it hard for you to be raised by parents of a different race? And I think, given that we're a panel and it's this audio, so I'm going to direct questions to each of you, but um, I would. I'd like for everyone to be able to chime in on every question. So I'll just kind of direct them, but feel free if you want to to join in. And I haven't directed to to speak up and just say who this is, who you are and then and then share your view. All right. So was it hard for you to be raised from a different race from your parents, Angie? Let's start with you.
1: No,
4: actually, it wasn't. I really, they didn't make me feel different. And so I didn't actually understand that there was a difference. It just felt very, very normal to me. And I didn't realize it until my teenage years, 12, 13, kind of understood that it was a different situation, but then the actual insecurities or the questions and things started to pop around that time. But for the most part, family, family.
0: So for you, that was it wasn't particularly hard until you got to be the tweens, early adolescence, and then you started trying to figure things out. Totally, yep, yeah. Uh, Jack, how about you?
3: Um, I, I don't think it was. It wasn't difficult for the most part. I, I didn't realize like I was a different race until like maybe I was four and maybe five. Um, and you know, other kids in school would make it apparent that I, you know, I would be different. And then like, I finally understood that I was, you know, not white. And then I, you know, I was Asian and I was Vietnamese. Um, so, but my parents are very encouraging and, you know, in the fact that, you know, they wanted to, um, have me understand what adoption was and that I was a Vietnamese American and that they still love me, even though uh, I wasn't the same as them.
0: Okay. And Nathan, uh, how about you? I probably, maybe to, at the beginning, it would be helpful if I would say uh, Nathan is is um, biracial, an uh, infant adoption, adopted uh, domestically. Okay. So go ahead, Nathan, just uh, I'm thinking it's probably helpful to remind people yeah. just so that they understand who's speaking. Okay. So Nathan, go ahead. How about for you?
2: I would say that well, I agree with everybody else that I didn't really realize the significance that I was a different race than my parents until I was around my middle school years. And it really came from other kids just pointing it out to me, just saying, hey, why are your parents white and you're not? And it took me like a little bit just to comprehend what that meant. But also, so I'm openly adopted. So I've known my birth mom my entire life. But so until I was eight, I didn't realize that other people didn't have birth parents. I thought that everyone had just two sets of parents just in their lives at all times. But so my birth (laughs) mom is my other white half as well. And so I didn't really, I wasn't able to see the fact that I was black, especially being raised in Portland, which isn't, again, the most diverse city in the world. But so once I really started recognizing that I was mixed race and that I wasn't the same as my parents, I had to go find the answers myself. But so that was mainly pointed out to me through other kids around me
0: hmm i'm wondering if it was I, i'm thinking that it might have been harder because you had three parents all of which were white uh because it sounds like you're uh you did not have contact with your black father uh biological father so was that made did that make it harder
2: i wouldn't say it made it harder my biological father and i came back into contact when i was around 11 and so we've just been, he actually moved to sydney australia and that's why it was a little hard to get in touch with him But Mm -hmm. through that, I've always been able to have him in my life where I've been able to reach out to questions if I could. But so just Mm -hmm. on the day-to-day basis, it was being raised in a predominantly white environment by predominantly white parents and not Mm -hmm. recognizing the significance of being Black in that environment and what that meant and why it wouldn't be the same as everyone else.
0: Okay. And Katie, what about you? Katie was adopted as a four-month-old from China.
1: Yeah, so similar to uh, other... Folks, I didn't realize I was adopted until um, about middle school. I knew that I looked different from my parents, but that was really all it was. Um, They always made me feel loved and accepted no matter what. And especially when, so I come from a multiracial family as well. So my younger brother was adopted from Vietnam. And so it was. Sort of a way of knowing that I looked different, but I looked similar to my younger brother. So it didn't ever really click until other kids my age started saying, Oh, well, why aren't your parents Asian? Because you and your brother are both Asian Mm -hmm. types. Mm So
0: I see, I'm seeing a, a, uh, it sounds like for everyone, it's around the middle school. Twelve to eleven to thirteen, let's say that that it becomes more of an issue, and from all of you, it sounds like more because it was brought up through your peers. and Katie, let me just confirm you said you didn't really realize you were adopted. Do you mean you didn't realize that you were adopted actually adopted or you didn't realize that you were trans you didn't the importance of transracial adoption wasn't something you realized,
1: yeah, so the importance of it was something that just never came to mind, yeah, okay. um. And so the next question
0: is, did you, when you've, I think you may have already answered this and uh, yeah, no, in fact, I won't answer that because you, did you face any issues? And it sounds like the issues that you faced were all coming from other kids and, and the, and, and generally around the early adolescence. Uh, Katie had a brother that was also a transracial adoptee. Uh, Nathan, do you have any siblings that are also transracial adoptees?
2: I do not. I was raised as an only child, but I do have three half siblings through my dad.
0: Okay, and Jack, uh, do you have any uh, siblings that are uh, transracially adopted?
3: I do not. Uh, I have uh, my three. I have three siblings who are older than I am, who are the biological children of my parents.
0: Okay, and Angie, what about you? Do you have any siblings?
4: Um, it's a little bit more complicated, but. <laughs> My mother, who actually ended up adopting me, didn't have any children, so I'm her only child, but the family that I was adopted into as a whole, I had two brothers, and one was part of the family originally, a birth child, and the other older brother uh, was adopted. Was it a transracial adoption? No, no. Okay, gotcha.
0: Okay. Katie, do you think that uh, you're the only one with, with experience with uh, an adopted sibling? Do you think it was easier uh, for you because you had someone who looked like you?
1: Um, I'm not really sure. I don't think it was easier or harder. It was just natural because um, mm-hmm. he. It. I was pretty young when he was adopted. I was four, so I don't have very many memories of that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I do actually also have two older siblings who are biologically related, who are also transracial. And so they are mixed with African-American, I think some Cuban and maybe Puerto Rican, I believe in there as well. And so I remember them being adopted. And I think that was a little more challenging because it was some social, not social, excuse me, um age dynamics at play from going from the oldest child to the second to youngest, Mm
0: -hmm. being
1: the only girl to having an older sister. So it was quite a few things I think that were all into play, but Mm -hmm. my parents always made sure that my younger brother and I, and then my two newer siblings um, were still part of a family. And I grew up knowing them because they were also, being fostered by my aunt as well. So it wasn't two okay. complete strangers coming to the house.
0: Okay. Um, we think a lot now, or at least those of us who are in the adoption education world, we think a lot about uh, racial identity and how that impacts transracial adoptees. You know, as a young child, most often you are under the umbrella of your family and pretty soon you're seen as just a part of your family or that's how we hope that happens. Um, but as you grow and you go out in the world, people see you not only as a child of your family, but also as a Chinese American or a black American or a Vietnamese American. And so I'm, I'm hoping this is not too personal of a question, but I, I'm wondering that as a young adult now, how you would describe your comfort level with your racial identity. Uh, let me start with you, Jack. And Jack, just to remind everybody, was adopted as a, 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 a under six-month-old from Vietnam.
3: Yeah, um, I'm very comfortable with um, the fact that, you know, I'm adopted and that I'm, you know, a Vietnamese American living in, um, you know, living in today's America. Um, I mean, I came to terms with like who I was and my identity, I guess, when I was like about 16, um, because that was like the first time I ever visited back to Vietnam um, with my family. Um, and then I really, it really shaped my perspective, um, about like who I was. And then on top of that, I also, uh, accidentally, um, met my birth mother and, uh, her family as well. So, um, yeah, to answer that question. Okay. Um,
0: all right. Uh, Katie, how about you? Do you, how, how comfort, how comfortable do you feel about your racial identity?
1: Yeah, I'm very comfortable with being Chinese-American. Um, I don't, th- if I had to venture, I would say there was maybe a year or two where I was feeling um, socially isolated in a way. Um, but even then, I wouldn't really ever, I don't recall ever truly feeling Displaced in a way
0: Okay Uh, Nathan, how about you and Nathan was uh, is a multiracial adoptee adopted at birth
2: I would say that when it comes to my racial identity I'm becoming more and more comfortable with it. But at the same time, I'm still growing when I was growing up I didn't have that many african-american role models in my life And while I found that everyone around me was very loving, no one was able to really answer the questions that I wanted to answer, just about what does it mean to be a black man? What does it mean to be a black man in America? Things like that. And so as I became more and more cognizant of it, I had to kind of develop my own identity. And the sad thing is pretty much what I had, because I didn't really let anyone know that I was in on this or ask for resources, all I had was media. And so at the same time, while I was growing up and developing into the person that i am today i would also tie that in with perceived stereotypes or the ways that um black men should be and so what i felt is that that what i found is that that wasn't the most healthy thing for me and so that kind of delayed it a little bit but over the past couple of years of really taking a step back and asked myself what does it mean to be me and what does it mean to be black in america
0: what has helped with that and what has helped you you said as a child turning to media wasn't necessarily the most productive for you. So what has helped you now as as a, as an adult?
2: I think what's helped me most as an adult is actually recognizing the areas where I've lacked education through my own, not really asking for help. I thought that I could figure this out by myself, and I didn't want to, people to hear about my insecurities with my own identity because I didn't want them to think I was weak or something like that. But mm-hmm. so once I really opened myself up and said, okay, hey, I need help. Um, I want role models. I would like open myself up to the culture and find out who I am. Once I asked for help in that way, people really started coming out of the woodwork and they were all very willing to help me and join me on this journey. And so it's been about me finding role models and actually asking the questions and getting out of my comfort zone.
0: Okay, excellent. Um, and Angie, uh, how about you? And Angie is a black Haitian American um, raised by a white family.
4: Uh, yeah in the beginning it was definitely difficult the stereotypes a lot of people like to just assume you're supposed to talk a certain way and act a certain way so growing up i know that was hard but meeting my real family was really really helpful and it helped me to understand i mean the gene pool is actually very incredible the science behind it and um, the fact that you can carry so many characteristics and talents and I had all of these different artistic talents inside of me and I didn't know where they were coming from. And then when I met my family, I saw you know, my brother's an architect, my father's a painter, my other brother is a film director, producer, and these are all things that have been inside of me and that I've pursued without even knowing. So I do feel like I have a very, very strong identity. I've had a strong identity, but it's been challenged my entire life.
0: When you say it's been challenged, it sounds like now that you have met your birth family, you see, you see role, you see, you see mirrors of your talents and 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 where where some of those came from. Um, uh, and what was it challenged prior to that? Is that what you were? Is that what you mean?
4: Yeah, I mean it was vindication that you know I am being my true self, regardless of who I was raised by. You know, uh, despite my external environment i am true to myself really mm-hmm. and it it just it just allowed me to to understand you know my environment a little bit more
0: how old were you when you met your birth family 24 24 okay got it we hear from some transracial adoptees that they are sometimes perceived or they feel like they are perceived as if they are not being black enough or chinese enough or vietnamese enough by members of their racial community Um, Have any of you experienced this? Katie, let me start with you.
1: Um, I don't think so. I think the people who I've met who identify as Chinese, one was adopted as well into uh, a set of white parents. Um, So she didn't have the Chinese culture background um, and then some, a friend who I have now whose family is a mix of the Asian cultures. Um, they're pretty, I think, westernized uh, when it comes to their culture as well with some things. So I've never felt like I wasn't Chinese enough by any mm-hmm. means. I think I've sort of taken some of the more Eastern... Uh, social traditions um just because i like them a lot uh but i've never been told outright oh well you should have done this because you're chinese so clearly it's the way that you should do it or whatever
0: okay nathan how about you um have you either felt that you were not black enough or that you, you were being perceived as not black enough i mean there's a lot of 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 racial epithets that can be thrown around that that people uh, some people feel like that. some people have reported being called um have uh have you experienced that in your life
2: i definitely have but what i found is that i kind of put that on myself but at the same time it is fair to say that i really wasn't prepared for that feeling because especially being mixed race there was some weight behind the words. So when people said I wasn't black enough, I could say, oh, well, I mean, like, I'm not 100% black. But then when people are like, oh, you're not white, I'm like, yeah, I'm 50% black. And so I found myself in the middle there. There's this one uh, line from Earl sweatshirt, which is just too black for the white kids, too white for the blacks. And like, once I heard that, that's where I really resonated with, that it was just, yeah. okay, I'm on this dividing line and I don't know which side to go to. But mm-hmm. as I started growing, what I found is that What's most important is that I am me and that I'm comfortable with myself first, and then I can begin recognizing the significance of things around that, where it's not I'm excluded from both, but I'm included in both.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Jack, have you uh, uh, felt that or perceived that you were being thought of as not Vietnamese enough or not Asian enough or whatever um, by that community?
3: Um, I've only ever felt that to, like, very, very small degrees, Um, you know, just like, you know, very insignificant comments from, like, people within the Vietnamese community, you know, down here in Philadelphia or in Vietnam itself, um, but they also understand that, like, um, you know, once they get to know me better, that, like, I was raised, you know, I was adopted, I was raised in a, in, in a white family, and that, um, but, you know, I'm also open to learning more about who they are. So I, you know, I can be more like them.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You described that uh, that you're actively seeking um, role models in that, uh, in that community. Angie, how about you?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely experienced that where people, you know, like I mentioned a little while ago, they say, I talk to white or whatever the scenario is, but Oreo is the terminology that you get. You know, black Mm -hmm. on the outside, white on the inside. So Mm -hmm. I absolutely dealt with that growing up from both from all sides, every nationality. And I'm a dark Haitian, so I don't get mixed up, you know, like sometimes with, you know, like some of the other guests, they're lighter skinned. It can almost some people, the, the white community, I guess we can say that most of us grew up in can almost give like a leeway when you're like really, really dark. What I've found just me personally is that, you know, there's a very, very specific way that I should be acting, talking and and it should be what they see on the TV. And it's not. And it throws a lot of people off.
0: And 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 it so you definitely felt it from the white community. How about from the? I don't know if you had much of a Haitian community, but you, but or a, the how about a black community, whether or not it was Haitian or not?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Connecticut ha- is a very diverse state. A lot of our cities are very very diverse, and I went to a very diverse college, and I would get that all the time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how did
0: that how did that impact you of not knowing uh, Nathan described feeling like he was in between, walking the line in between the two? Uh, how did that did, did you feel like you were walking the line between the white and the black community or not fitting into either one? Or did you feel like you fit into both?
4: I still walk the line and I still you know, I can fit into both. I can fit into both better now because I have so much more self-awareness and I'm an adult and you know i don't let the emotions take over me but it there is it, it's it can be really really difficult it is a fine line but i can typically you know go go bounce back and forth i can without having to actually change my personality i know a lot of people who have to change their personality in order to fit into a certain group. And I used to do that because I was completely unsure of who I was once people started pointing out the fact that I was different or that my situation was different. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it is Mm -hmm. different. And then, you know, that's where it messes you all up.
0: So you would used to do, I think what we'd call that code switching, where you would, you would change who you were to fit the, uh, to fit the, the, the group you were with. And while that's not exclusive to uh, adoption at all, um, it certainly is, is a part of it. So uh, do you still feel like you do that? Or have you, have you felt um, or do you do it less now that you were in your mid-30s? Uh, I
4: feel like so I'm in sales as well. So I feel like there is a time and a place now for everything. I can present myself in an authentic way to everyone, but I still think there's a little bit of weaving between, you know, groups and nationalities and uh, even age groups. I mean, you don't talk to children the way that you talk to adults. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's still that play, and it taught me how to do that successfully, but still stay true to myself, which I feel very, very confident in myself at this time in my life.
0: Which is, of course, what we all <laughs> hope at yeah. some point in our lives that we reach. Amen. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right. So you guys have all alluded to some of these, but okay, I want to hear about what you think, maybe I was going to say what you think your parents did right that helped you. So let's, let's, uh, can you give some tips uh, from your own life, either from what your parents did well or didn't do well, uh, for other parents who are considering or are just starting out in transracial adoption, what would be some tips that, that you would, suggest for them to consider and and do uh to make it easier for their children so uh angie you were just the one who was speaking so let me go ahead and start with you what would be and and everybody give one tip and then we'll come back around so if you've got uh think of a couple and then give one and then we'll come back around angie starting with you what would be a tip
4: if you are to adopt an african-american child take them to an African American salon or barber. That is a huge tip. I think my mother was very scared. They didn't know what to do with my hair growing up and it was difficult. And I believe that if they had done that sooner, it would have been, but there was no services for them. They didn't know, you know, what was going on. They just had, they, and there was no internet really. So they couldn't even Google it. But don't be afraid, you know, to reach out to the the community of your child and ask for help. Okay. Uh, And specifically,
0: uh, well, that's two tips, really, because that's in general. No, no, it's okay. In general, ask for help. Uh, But in specific, uh, ask for help uh, with hair care. All right. Katie, what would you be a what would be a tip that you would uh, want parents to to are thinking about or in the beginning stages of transracial adoption to know?
1: Yeah, so I would say probably when your child is growing up, tell them stories of the adoption process um, and then adopting the child and sort of that early childhood formation, like mental settlement stage. Um, So you make it a normal part of life. So they know that they're adopted, but they never feel like they were unloved in a way. So uh, let me see if, am I summarizing
0: you correctly to say that make sure that the discussion of being adopted is something that happens early, frequent, and is a natural part of growing up. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, Jack, how about you? What would be your tip for uh, uh, parents at the beginning of this process?
3: Uh, At the beginning of the adoption process, if they were going to adopt, I'd say... um, Well, transracial, in
0: specific, transracial.
3: Transracial. Um, I'd say give the child access to to outlets of, of where they came from, whether it be you know, films, music, cuisine, um, getting in touch with the community, getting in touch with other uh, communities uh, of transracial uh, adopt, you know, families that have adopted from the same uh, country. You know, I think giving them access and the option to do that uh, while, you know, growing into um, themselves as uh, an American, I think would be really helpful um, for them.
0: Okay, and I'm really glad you talked about books and film and things like that, because that's infinitely doable. All right, Nathan, your tip.
2: What I would say is that my parents, much like Jack said, my parents gave me every opportunity to be able to experience my culture whenever I could, such as if there's an exhibit come to town or that the books on my shelves were books about black kids. But it was never something that was forced on me like, you have to be Black, you have to recognize this. It was, okay, when you start recognizing these things, we're going to be there by your side and you're going to have all the resources available. And it's always going to be your choice about how fast and how hard you want to lean into your racial identity.
0: And, and I know you are, you've you described that you are actively in that stage of of learning and becoming and understanding what it means to be a Black man in America. Have your parents been an ally in this process for you?
2: They definitely have. Um, I would say they were allies in the sense that they could always recommend books that they were reading themselves. They would often read books first before I did, just to understand the frame of mind, or at least try to understand the frame of mind that I would be coming from. They taught me the significance of certain words. They taught me about certain actions, especially at a young age, where if such as if there was a large-scale event that was going on that pertained to my race they would always like invite or encourage me to go um i had the opportunity to go to mississippi to learn about the civil rights movement and they really pushed me and supported me the entire time and i went and It was an incredible experience and when i got back they put aside all the time i wanted to decompress debrief discuss so them just being there as a support system for me while going through my journey showed me that i wasn't alone on this
0: okay and so that's another tip be an ally be a supportive don't be threatened and 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 uh let your child know that uh you aren't alone you actually gave a lot including reading books first so you could talk about them with your kids yeah okay Mm -hmm. angie you're up any thoughts on any tips too that another tip that you might give
4: um i know that my family told me from the very beginning like if you mentioned that Just the process, getting to know the process right from the beginning. They never not told me I was adopted. You know, I just thought it was normal to be adopted and to have this mixed modern family. But they were very, very truthful from... Like, I remember even being like three, four years old and knowing that I had a mother somewhere else and so on and so forth. But they they loved me unconditional. I mean, that at the end of the day, I absolutely ended up in a better situation than I had, uh, than I would have. And they just loved me unconditionally during some of the toughest times in Florida. They wouldn't even let them adopt me. It was illegal. So they were, you know, fighting segregation all out of love. So you, you just got to keep going. It's a tough process and you just got to keep pushing forward if you love that child.
0: Okay. Katie, do you have another tip?
1: Mm, I mean, I think what I would say is been covered. I think right. resources available and, Speak openly love unconditionally
0: okay um, Jack any other do you have any other tips
3: um I have tips in regards if you're going to adopt uh, say uh, someone from Vietnam especially since the rules have changed um, so these days you cannot do um, uh, you know adoptions of children under five years old um and there was an issue a number of years ago where like you know i guess um there are problems with you know human trafficking and and things like that so um international adoptions and even local adoptions uh, within vietnam you know are restricted to uh children five and up or for children who have uh, a disability or groups of siblings and so on and so forth um my tip for for parents who decide to do that um you know, is um I would get in you know once let's say you go go back to America, you know, I would get in touch with um, you know, Catalyst Foundation. Um, you know, it's it's a group uh that has an organization that fights human trafficking in Vietnam, but also mm-hmm. um we are a community of, of Vietnamese adoptees who um, you know, stay in contact together. And every year we meet, you know, for this culture camp, you know, uh, over the summer uh, for a number of days, and it's really fulfilling for a lot of the kids uh, who come out. So, like I do that every summer with my girlfriend and I. You know, we volunteer for that, and you know, serve as like mentors and role models for the kids um, because you know they grow up in communities that are predominantly white, and you know, they don't have anyone to look up to.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, Nathan. Do you have any final words of any final tips to give before we move on to another topic?
2: I would say that you do have to recognize that it's not going to be easy, especially because outside of adoption itself, the added wrinkle of the transracial adoption is thrown in there. And to not think that it's going to be easier, that it's going to be something you solve overnight. It's a constant learning process and it's always evolving based on the situation, based on the times, based on how much you already know, based on how much your child already knows. And so through that, just recognize it's not going to be easy, but in the end, it's definitely going to be worth it. Mm All
0: right. wanted to circle back to something that actually i think uh, jack you were the one who mentioned both of these homeland tours as well as culture camps these are both more common well obviously the homeland tour are even more common in international adoption um, and so are culture camps um so less common in domestic adoption but so let me just uh, uh talk a little bit about uh the importance uh and i'll start with you jack uh, then how important would you say homeland tours and you've just mentioned that culture camps were immensely important. Uh, how important was, um, uh, uh, homeland tours? You, well, you only went on one, I guess, but how important was that for you?
3: Um, I think that is, uh, a, a very key, uh, fundamental thing to implement, um, when the time is right for, you know, the said child's, um, in terms of like shaping their identity, um, you know, I I didn't go on Catalyst cultural tour. I you know I went on I went to Vietnam independently with my family. But um, you know when I was eleven, I did the culture uh, I did the Vietnam culture camp um, once. But you know from there, I always wanted to go back and, and do it again. But you know I I was always tied up during the summer. But like I rediscovered Catalyst when I was in college. Um, you know I wanted to volunteer and reconnect with you know. Um, Catalyst Foundation and, and reconnect with the you know Vietnam Vietnam Culture Cap. Um, I think it you know it really um, you know it really is a really fulfilling experience uh, to to be able to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's another uh, I suppose tip would be to if if at all possible to well connect your child to their culture every way you can and if that uh, obviously is is involving an international adoption to either take your child back to their country of birth or uh to find a culture camp uh and and for uh children being adopted transracially here within the united states there are other opportunities to expose your kids less so camps but but certainly other opportunities to expose your child to the culture from which they were from which they were born. Uh, let me pause for a moment and remind everyone that this show is underwritten by the Jockey Being Family Foundation. Their mission is to support families after adoption so that they, they thrive throughout the, the lifetime of adoption. They are committed to providing support to families nationwide and to help these forever homes become lasting places of love. Your support is vital to their success. And please visit their website, jockeybeingfamily.com, to see how your support can impact families nationwide. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit of the two guys here because I think that, uh, and I might be wrong on this. In fact, uh, Katie and Angie might disagree, but I've often wondered in some ways, and I've I've talked to other uh, transracial adoptees who have said they feel like it's harder in some ways being a guy. And being transracially adopted, and some of the things they have said is that um, the perceptions for black men in the U.S. is hard, and then for Asian men, our our standards of of of, of attractiveness and our standards of well, beauty, I guess, is yeah, our uh, masculinity and stuff don't always lend themselves to to uh, to expand to Asians, and so uh, Asian guys uh, feel like. They are often left out. Um, so let me talk. We'll speak with both of you guys. Jack, let me start with you. Um, do you think any of that rings true? Of course, you don't know what the female experience is like, but the uh, from a from a Asian guy or from a Vietnamese guy standpoint, um, were there things that were specific to your gender that you think that and race that made it more difficult?
3: Um. I felt, yeah, I felt it was a slightly difficult and I don't know, you know, I always ask myself like, if it was me or, if, you know, something that I did or, or um, just the fact that, you know, I'm just, you know, an Asian, you know, it's it just, it's always been a question that's been on, on my mind, but I mean, you know, it, it's, um, honestly, I, I think yeah, it was, it was kind of it was tough, I suppose, growing up, but um, I mean, I kind of, you know, when we come back again, like, you know, I'm comfortable with myself and I accept myself for who I am. And, you know, I have a support system, you know, in place. So I think that's like, you know, the the most important part.
0: Okay. Nathan, how about you? And nowadays with the, you know, the, the fear people have for their black young men. And so, I mean, how is, has, is being a black male in the U.S., being raised by white parents, does that make it, do you think it's harder for, for males and females?
2: I wouldn't say it's harder for men than women. I would definitely say that um, all genders have their own issues to go through and that mine specifically uh, mine specifically weren't exactly the easiest for me, like, again, trying to come to my daddy and then recognize the weight and significance of being a black man in America. So there were some mm-hmm. points where, let's say, if I heard the N-word, how am I supposed to react? Because that's that word never really was around me growing up because I was constantly surrounded by forward-thinking white Americans who would never use that word in my presence. So when I started hearing it for the first time, I just thought, am i supposed to have a violent visceral reaction am i supposed to let it go am i supposed to educate how am i supposed to how am i supposed to react and so that's just one example of the significance of being a black american and then there's the additional things about being um, a black male in america where there's all these stereotypes of how you're supposed to be how you perceived when you walk down the street how people like people when people started crossing the street and looking at me i'd say out of out of fear, um, that started happening around 14 or 15. I didn't even get it. I thought that I was doing something wrong and not just being myself. And so my parents, they were worried about me too. And um, for different reasons, again, because they didn't exactly know how to handle this because they hadn't been educated through the lens of being black in America. So we all just had to learn together. And it really culminated together after Trayvon Martin was shot where my mom just started saying, okay, I need, like, you can't wear your hoodie up. And so I just thought, why? Like, we're in in Portland. This has never been a lesson conveyed to me before. And she didn't have the right words to explain it, but she just knew the weight and significance of me walking down the street being just, like, six foot three, dark-skinned, wearing a hoodie, and just, like, the power that that has in America.
0: So how did your parents navigate that? that, Because you were a teen, uh, a young teen at the time. How did they find, uh, or how should they, either how did they or how would you suggest others find help in figuring out how to help your child? In the example you gave would be, uh, how should you respond to the Uh, N-word? What is an effective way to to handle that? And of course, it would probably depend on the situation. Um, So how did your parents help you figure out how to uh, be a black man in America?
2: So the way they went about it was they started teaching me just the facts about the significance of it. But then what I'm most impressed about and definitely kudos to them, I love them so much is they just looked at the situation and said, we are not best equipped to help Nathan here. So we're going to support him, but also we're going to encourage him to find and reach out to people who are going to be able to explain this to him and explain the significance. And so when I went on my trip to Mississippi, uh, we went to Emmett Till Memorial and I heard the story. From, a voice, from the voice of a black man who's lived that experience and just been surrounded by that his whole life and me recognizing, okay, this is actual historical and cultural weight, not the kind you read about in a textbook. This impacts people's lives every single day. And so through that, my parents have been constant resources and finding people who I'm able to talk to and just being there to be able to debrief it and listen to me for as long as they need to talk about it because we all recognize this is something incredibly important in my life and they're putting me in front of their own Fear, I would say, of what can happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, their fear of losing you. To be honest, I think sometimes uh, white parents are afraid that if their children identify too strongly or, or, or with, a, with a different culture, that somehow they're, they will lose their child, that their child will become uh, more more part of a culture that they're not a part of. And it sounds like your parents did not feel threatened in that way.
2: My parents didn't feel threatened in that way, no. They saw that, well, I mean, one of the things my dad said to me when I was 17 is just, we were at a restaurant and he leaned over and said, do you realize that people probably don't recognize we're father and son? Just because we look so different. My dad's um, white with like gray hair and I'm much darker than him with uh, black curly hair. His is straight. So we just, we look incredibly different from each other. And so he was able to recognize that he wasn't the best equipped for this and that he's going to be able to raise me as a person but there are just some things that he wasn't going to be able to teach me because he had not lived those experiences
0: mm-hmm. exactly and that you have to learn along with you but that he yeah he couldn't be the teacher
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it um, was the most crucial thing
0: and angie you've talked about moving to coming to understanding more of your racial identity, was your family able to be supportive, or did they feel uh, in some way perhaps insecure with your
4: uh, with your exploration? Um, my family was very, very supportive, and uh, I remember I was about fifteen fourteen, and the internet AOL had just come out. And we were getting access to information we had never had before. And I went online and I knew my mother's, my birth mother's first and last name. And I figured Miami where I was born and I found her and I got her phone number and I called it and she didn't speak English. And so that was kind of it. It was like this like quick end. And I told my mom about it and she did get very upset. And she said exactly what you said. She didn't want to lose me. And I was still young at the time. I was still, you know, in grade school. So I, I very well could have, you know, who knows? I, I understood her, her fears. But then at 24 years old, where I, when I actually did meet my family and I was traveling the world to, to meet them and visit them and have these experiences, she was so happy for me. And she knew, you know, I was an adult and we were, she knew that I wasn't going to, I was an adult. There, you know, I wasn't going to go live with somebody else. I already moved out of the house and everything. So she was just happy that I had this experience. But she did go through a point where she was very insecure about, you know, what might happen if I found my family.
0: Mhm, mhm. And, and Jack, you've talked about having um, some uh, uh, cultural experiences in the with the v- in Vietnamese culture. Were your parents supportive? of your exp- of your exploration
3: uh, my parents yeah of course they are always supportive um you know i mean to which i guess which specific event are you referring to
0: oh, but just in general you you know as you as oh, you became learning more about your culture and and more interested in in how you identify as a vietnamese american
3: oh yeah yeah my parents are always very supportive um you know like i said you know they never try to push um, you know me trying to learn about more uh and then you know embrace Vietnamese culture and heritage um but um you know it, it was never always that was never always the facts with me though um you know I I was always very resistant to um learning about Vietnamese culture and heritage and, and anything even remotely Asian you know when I was younger you know I always thought that was you know that was something that would get me in trouble you know just with like um other people because I wanted to fit in I wanted to be White, I wanted to be like my siblings, and my parents, um, but like you know, like I said, you know, when I was sixteen, you know, it wasn't until I came more, you know, to terms about you know that that you know that's when that happened. But my parents were always there for me.
0: So as a younger child, until really up until mid adolescence, you didn't want to learn about your birth culture because you felt that it would make you stand out as different and highlight the fact that you were different. Uh, yes,
3: yeah, so that's correct.
0: All right. Let me pause now to thank two of our partners. Uh, As a nonprofit creating a family, uh, partners with agencies that believe in our mission of providing uh, unbiased uh, support, both pre-adoption as well as post-adoption. And these are agencies who are willing to support us because they believe in our mission. One such agency is Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption and embryo donation and adoption throughout the U.S., as well as home studies and post-adoption support to families in Texas. And we have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study-only services, as well as full-service infant adoption, international adoption, and post-adoption. And they also have a Foster to Adopt program. You can get more information about them online at VistaDelMar.org. We received in in anticipation for this show a comment from another transracial adoptee who is African-American raised by white parents. And she talked about feeling very comfortable with both races. And she described this as an advantage that seldom talked about. But she she said it was an easy fluidity. I thought that was a great way to say it. an easy fluidity that she thinks that, that she has that often uh, that that others don't have. Uh, so and I, well, I suppose being raised uh, by uh, in a, a family, a, a transracial family, you would have that as well. But uh, I thought that was an interesting point, and I, I could also see that it would be a burden to feel like you have to be the you know the, 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 the bridge between the two, so I could see it both ways. But anyway, I thought I would ask uh, get your opinions on 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 that being uh, being comfortable being in, in both worlds and, and being able to understand and see both worlds. So Katie, let me start with you. Um, do you see that at all?
1: Um, I. Don't think so. I don't think I have enough um, knowledge about the Chinese culture to say that I can fit or bridge between the two. So for me personally, I don't have that.
0: No. Okay. Nathan, what about you?
2: I would say that those fluidity, but it came through work and it did come through recognition that before anything else, I'm going to be me first. And so once I found that comfort and was able to really just get out of my comfort zone, something I'm still learning how to do. It's never like a finished process. (laughs) No, it isn't. (laughs) It definitely isn't. I found that I'm able to have an easy ear fluency, but it's not easy yet. Mm
0: -hmm. You're hoping that it will become, but it's not yet.
2: I am hoping so, yes. Growing up in Portland, there wasn't very much black influence around me that was easily accessible. So while I am learning, I've I found that I've definitely been accepted into both cultures very quickly. It just still is an interesting adjustment.
0: Okay, Angie, um, do you see, uh, uh, and you're about 10 years older than the others, so you may have 10 years more, <laughs> shall we say more wisdom um, or, or more experience anyway, uh, do you see, uh, would you agree with this other uh, comment or, or, or do you not see so much of that?
4: I think for everybody, it's, it's something different, because that person, that particular person, could also be an extrovert, which means that they're just capable to, of, of blending you know into different communities and societies in general. Uh, I, I do think that it gives us a very well-rounded viewpoint, which is an advantage in society especially when it comes to communications especially when there's things like social media where all the information's out and there's so many stereotypes and so much judging you know we have this superpower Mm -hmm. to kind of be able to see both sides and like i mentioned before i do tend to be able to weave through different communities and cultures and being in this mixed family has definitely helped me, you know, uh, establish that characteristic so much better. But it, it depends on who the person is. An introvert is not going to work the same.
0: That is such a good point. And I'm glad you raised it. We tend to, we, we, one of my pet peeves is we tend to treat adoptees as, as this fungible unit. And of course, not only is being adopted one aspect of their life, but we have to take their human, their temperament, in, into account. And you're exactly right that uh, that who we are and and just our fundamental temperament and personality absolutely influences our experience. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Absolutely, Jack. How about you? Um, what has been your experience on moving between the Vietnamese culture and or and the and the, uh, and the uh, white culture, white American culture,
3: um, I find that like you know moving through the the white culture, you know, it's something that's very comfortable to me, you know because you know of my family and and you know that's how I was raised. Um, but another thing about like the Vietnamese culture moving through that is like it could be like I still find it very enlightening and very you know it's it's like a I'm still discovering a lot of things every single day. Uh, and every single you know moment that I have the opportunity to be able to do something related to it, um, and you know, I you know I I think both experiences um, really help shape you know who I am.
0: Both the experience of being okay that makes sense. Both cultures and and experiences. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you all, Katie Bullard, Nathan Faust, Jack Torella, and Angie Legg, being on this interview today. I really appreciate uh, your um, your presence and your wisdom. Quite frankly, you're helping shape what the next generation uh, their experience will be, and I'm I'm truly appreciative of that, and uh, truly appreciative of what you're offering to uh, to adoptive parents because you guys are the experts, <laughs> really, in adoption. Certainly, in transracial adoption, you are, and uh, and we need to learn from you. And I am very appreciative of you being here. Let me remind everybody that the views expressed in this show are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the positions of creating a family, our partners, or our underwriters. Keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice. To understand how it applies to your specific situation, you can work with your adoption or foster care professional. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week.